CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara communities through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2022 to help keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein, my co-host, he of the New Bronstein Times. And uh, more hockey talk. Even though the Sabre season essentially is done, they do have one more game tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets in Ohio. But I think we can uh, go into this game feeling as though it's some kind of extra exhibition game to finish out the season. Uh, we had so much of the uh, farewell vibe uh, last night with Craig Anderson playing his final game, winning uh, in overtime, the feel-good aspect of that. Uh, Don Granado announcing after that game that Tage Thompson will not be playing uh, tonight in Columbus. So Tage Thompson will not have a chance to get 50 goals. He would need a hat trick for that to happen, but he's been playing through pain. And you just have this feeling of conclusion, even with the one game left. Jonah, we're going to talk about the Sabres uh, here in a little bit and uh, what went well for them, uh, the disappointment of having an exciting team on the rise and yet still owning that longest drought uh, in the North American Big Four sports, I guess I should say you don't own it outright. They are co-owners co uh, with the New York Jets at 12 consecutive seasons of, of no postseason. But wouldn't it be fun if the Sabres were playing for something tonight? And you have it with uh, the NBA, uh, with these play-in games that have been pretty cool to watch. Um, and the NHL hasn't tapped into that excitement yet, but but they sure could, couldn't they? Uh, and I just want to maybe explore, Jonah, because of your um, your expertise on the NBA and how closely you follow the league and how that's been working, and also with the with your coverage of the Buffalo Sabers, how you think those two worlds would mesh uh, if the Sabers were still playing for something, whether or not it's uh, home ice for this play-in game and maybe a chance to have a party in the plaza with it 80 degrees outside right now in mid-April in downtown Buffalo? Well, I think if the Sabres were gearing up, especially to host a play-in game, which you would do if you were the ninth seed, which right now they're the 10th, so they might have to win this last game. Something, something more would be at stake late in the regular season, leading into something even greater at stake in a play-in game to possibly get to a playoff spot. And I do think hockey purists and maybe even Sabres, drought traditionalists, if any of those exist, might debate whether you're truly ending your playoff drought by being in a play-in game or you have to advance beyond that and actually be in the playoffs and what would really qualify as a proper drought-ending moment. But that aside, the Sabres playing a postseason game with playoff stakes, meaningful games in April that were even more meaningful than some of these regular season contests they've had down the stretch. 
would be one of the biggest hockey games, at least in the past 12, 15 years since this team was uh, in the playoffs and, you know, playing these meaningful playoff games, party in the playoffs. I think there'd be a sold out crowd and a party in the plaza with the spring weather or whether this game is played on Sunday or Monday or whatever that was, it would be um, a very exciting event for Buffalo and the fan base and the NHL as well. The Sabres made it to their 80th game out of 82 with something to play for, which is incredible uh, considering how far this team has needed to rise from the Ralph Kruger days, uh, the desolation that they've had with all the different coaching changes and the GM changes and the failed draft picks and the embarrassment of the tank and Jack Eichel not working out and Sam Reinhart not working out and all this excitement that always fizzled. Um, they went into that 80th game. However, people didn't think they were going to make it. They, they were still, the odds were against them mathematically for, for weeks. Uh, but still it, it was, um, it was refreshing, uh, to have them playing, uh, for something. Um, but that play in game, um, and, and let's maybe stop for a second, Jonah, and explain for the, the folks out there who don't follow the NBA closely, how the NBA's play-in system works, uh, because there is maybe a belief that this is um, bending the rules or cooking the formula or whatever you want to say to create some fake drama for uh, the postseason in the NBA but I don't find it that way. But go ahead and explain it, and then we'll discuss how this system works with the NBA. I mean, it is a little bit manufactured drama. It is kind of manufactured television elimination games. Most all of these play-in games are like a but game. It's not obnoxiously so, and it's not offensive. No, but to certain purists, because in a lot of leagues, didn't have as many playoff teams as we have now, even eight playoff teams in a 16-team conference, seems like maybe that's too many, that the postseason should be more exclusive. And when you're extending that down to 9 and 10, and if potentially the 10th best team in the regular season can grab a playoff spot from the 7th best team, then it devalues the regular season somewhat. And that's Gary Bettman's argument for why the NHL has not done this or not considered doing this, because it would devalue some of the regular season. And according to Gary Bettman, NHL teams don't tank. The regular season means more in hockey than maybe it does in the NBA is the implication. However, I think hockey needs more television events and maybe more manufactured drama than the NBA. The NBA has drama even when they don't want there to be drama. And the NHL could maybe use a little bit more mainstream exposure that they could get from playoff hockey is generally considered a better product than regular season hockey. So why wouldn't you want to expand a bit on that playoff style and playoff feel after the end of the regular season where a lot of games don't have that, especially games involving teams that are out of the playoffs. And to explain to anybody that doesn't know the way it works in the NBA, the ninth and 10th teams in the playoffs play in a play in ga playoff game, play in game. It's technically not considered a playoff game. It's a one, it's a four team tournament, but it's not a traditional bracket. So the ninth and the 10th teams play each other. The seventh and the eighth teams play each other on the seven teams' home floor. If the number seven seed wins, or e either one of those teams win, they get the number seven seed, they're in the playoffs. And that loser of that seven eight game has to play the winner of the nine ten game, and that would determine the eighth seed. So if you're a seventh or eighth seed in the regular season, you have to lose twice to lose your playoff position. 
And if you're the seventh seed, you have to lose twice at home. And if you're a ninth or tenth seed, you're going to have to win two more games in order to steal somebody's playoff spot. So there's still built-in incentives for finishing higher in the regular season. It creates an even greater incentive for a team to finish sixth and avoid the play-in tournament. And that leads to more games having more at stake later into the season. And if you follow the NBA, the last day of the regular season, there were teams locked in and some teams didn't have anything to play for. But there were a number of teams that did have things to play for and led to a lot of dramatics like Rudy Gobert punching a teammate on the bench. Those things don't happen when the last game of the regular season is meaningless to everybody involved. Not to say that the NHL wants that specifically, however. Right. Not to say that the NHL wants that specifically or that the NHL needs any more of that because maybe they have a few too many players punching each other over the years in in times where they didn't want that. But I do think that because it's been so successful in the NBA, which is a bigger television product and a bigger mainstream sport in the U.S., that I'm surprised that the NHL doesn't follow suit or doesn't recognize an idea that's working for a competing league and try to implement it itself. And if you look at the NHL standings, there is kind of a line of demarcation between the team that's 10th and the team that's 11th in both conferences. And this involves the Sabres in the East where these teams that are in 10th, the Sabres and Nashville have the Sabres have 41 wins and they can get to 42 tonight. Nashville has 42. They can get to 43 wins tonight. Those are winning teams. And it does seem like maybe that is, a proper cutoff point for determining the next round of the postseason and the way the NHL does it with three division teams, each getting in. So that's six teams. That would also be a line of demarcation between teams that have to play in the playing tournament and teams that don't, it would be a wild card tournament. Right. You're throwing a lot of words and numbers out there. So let's stop for a second. Sure. And because I think that there is a tendency and it is a bastardization of a process especially when everybody's used to a bracket type situation where you can line up the teams. And if this beats that one and that one, but it really seems as though there are two teams that don't deserve it using finger quotes, don't deserve to make the playoffs in the NBA. But I dispute that. I think it's only one team that becomes relevant really in this situation because in the seven, eight situation, the winner of that game is in you've played your game. You want it. You're in. In the 9-10 game, the loser of that's out, done. Then you don't get a shot to play. And then to me, it's the the loser of the 7-8 versus the winner of the 9-10 that creates one extra team that can get in. And to me, they have earned it by winning two in a row against the team ahead of them, or the team has failed to clinch by losing two in a row to the team that was right behind them. And you, and you mentioned that line of demarcation. It's not as though you draw a line uh, and it is a big drop-off. It never is. There's always a fuzziness, um, a blurring of that line. And so this allows you to play with the fuzziness of that line. Um, and I think that it would be great for the NHL for a couple of reasons. Number one, it creates, well, for several reasons. Number one, the drama that we've been talking about. Number two, It would give, in a sport where health is of utmost importance, um, the benefit to the teams that have done well all season to rest for a little bit. That is your bonus, as opposed to going right into a series where you're banged up. And, you know, maybe that's what the uh, you should be you should have earned or you should be your benefit for doing well in the season is rest. You get the which you don't necessarily have. Uh, like you do with the NFL and first round buys and any other league in which that's 
uh, a thing. So there's that. There's also the gate, which is of utmost importance with the National Hockey League over any other league out there is the number of tickets sold. And the Sabres have not been selling out. But if they were looking as a team, looking like a team that was scratching uh, at the playoffs, including that playoff uh, game or the play-in scenario, um, then I think you see more tickets sold a while ago, a few weeks ago, because when they had that lull um, there at the end of March and the beginning of April, you're able to navigate that a little bit more. It didn't kill them. They still had life. And um, so anyway, I know that I'm saying a lot of the same things that you did about how it makes too much sense, but I would like to think that while it does diminish the regular season a little bit, it doesn't for the teams that did well. Uh, it only diminishes the regular season for the team that barely got in the before the, the door got slammed on the other teams. Um, so I love it. I love what the NBA has done. And I think that the NHL, it's, it's a natural. And maybe Gary Bettman just doesn't want to be viewed as a copycat and he is trying to rationalize tradition. But this is a, this is a sport that needs more eyeballs on it. It needs all kinds of different uh, avenues for people to not only watch it, but to want to go to a game. I took my son and a few of his friends to his birthday to a game and it cost me 500 bucks for tickets. I mean, yes, we sat in the 200 level, but I mean, for one hockey game, that was pretty outrageous. I wasn't in a suite for fuck's sake. Um, but you want to, you need people to get there, fill those seats. You want them to bet on it. You got to get these one and done situations for that uh, nine, 10 play in you know, a loser. Um, then, you know, people are betting on these. Anyways, I'm rambling now a little bit, but it yeah. makes too much sense. It's in, similar to what actually making the playoffs would do, but it would make it easier to sell tickets for next season or it would be a, a great opportunity to showcase what playoff hockey feels like in a playoff-like setting, in an elimination game setting to people and then turn around and try to sell them season tickets and say, this is you're going to experience this a lot more when this team is even better and in the actual playoffs a year from now, or there's also the implication that even if you're the 10th seed, you're on your way to playing in more playoff games. You might win this tournament and actually make the playoffs and have more of a postseason. And that letdown that was felt the other night when the Sabres were eliminated from playoff contention. I mean, that happens again, whenever you're eliminated, but it extends the season out for a few more teams and a few more fan bases a few days later onto the calendar and I think that's good for the league and it's good for the several markets that are involved. And I don't really, I see the argument for the downside, but I don't really understand or agree with it. I think there's a lot more positives than negatives that would be gained from that. Now it's a, something that has to be collective bargain, but if it leads to more revenue and it, it's something that the players they have a greater opportunity to play in the postseason, I don't, I don't think the players would protest it very much. But let me and ask you, you this. I just want to say that if you if you feel that it's unfair to the seventh and eighth seeded teams at the end of the 82 games, I mean, who cares about this, the feelings of the seventh and eighth seeded teams? I mean, be better. I mean, right. it's well, not they, screwing over a team that was dominant or did all the right things. You're putting a team that has been marginal, especially in the National Hockey League, set, you know, the 16 teams is more than half the league. If you are average, 
Uh, and for you to um, feel sympathy towards the seventh and eighth seeded teams, I, I, I don't think anybody does outside of probably the fan bases of those particular clubs. And it creates more incentive to be one of the top three teams in your division and not have to play in the play-in tournament. And you've heard gripes this season from Austin Matthews and maybe other players that don't like the NHL format where the second and third teams in the division play each other and it leads to the same matchups in repetitive years and not having a reason to, you know, you don't move up from sixth to fourth to fifth in the conference standings. You're either second or third in your division and that's who you play. And is it unfair for the ninth or eighth seeded team who does get in potentially? Because it's not, it's not like an extra team's added. It's just a jockeying of the last few seeds. Uh, if you say, "Oh, geez, uh, well they get to slide into a spot that they didn't earn," okay, well congratulations, that team gets to play the number one seeded team on rest. You know they've had time to rest. <laughs> and a game plan for whoever they're going to play. You know, it's not like just three days off and heading right into the first round. The, the better teams are going to be a little more rested. And so your cut, your, uh, your big grand prize is to go into a buzzsaw probably. Uh, and if you're, if you're an upstart and you're on a run and heck, you know, fine, if you can pull it off, but um, I, I just don't, uh, as you, as you already said, so eloquently, I don't see much of a downside unless you just want to feel Sorry for an average team that did that uh, is is um, is is being delivered an inconvenience of having to play an extra game or two. Yeah, and it, hockey more than any other sport has the potential for an eight seed to beat a one seed in a seven game series. Happens a lot more often than it does in the NBA, or if you want to make a comparable to football or baseball. And if you look at the way these wildcard playoff races played out particularly this year but in many other years there's not that much different between the islanders and the panthers and and the penguins and the sabers and so on and so forth to where maybe the sabers or the penguins not the penguins maybe the sabers are the team that has a greater potential to win an eight versus one matchup seed than the florida panthers are going to be and it might be nice to have a playoff to determine who is the best team to go into the actual playoffs against that number one seed. Um, and and that, that one seed is going to get a little bit of an advantage in having that extra rest and that other team having to play more games and play their goaltender and, and the scouting ability that could happen with that. So it's not like any of these lower-seeded teams are gaining advantages. They're just gaining opportunities to play their way into the postseason. I know that to screw the proverbial pooch, uh, you need to lose two games. Uh, to fall out of your seating and your uh, what would be your valid playoff standing after 82 games. Um, so there is, it, it, so luck is a little diminished in that report or, or uh, it, it doesn't play as much of a role, uh, but maybe this is just Gary Bettman admitting that too much of hockey is based on luck. And in a couple of games, a team that has earned it over 82 games has a bad goaltending performance or a puck goes off somebody's skate or a defenseman accidentally taps it into his own goal. And after 82 games, uh, you are not going to the playoffs now because too much of the sport is based on bounces or randomness 
which is unfortunate. And it's also one of the reasons why the sport is so difficult and maddening to, to bet on and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But There's also a negotiation ex- aspect to it where Gary Bettman in the NHL office might be posturing as if they don't want to make this change until a television partner steps up with more money to incentivize creating a few more playoff games, which is kind of what happened in the NBA. So perhaps Gary Bettman really does want something like this, but doesn't want to show his hand until uh, the television money offer comes in. Now on the topic of whether or not this would be a cheap way to make the playoffs or to break the, the slump, I want to point out a couple of things. Um, most notably, um, the NHL allowed eight extra teams to get into the postseason two years ago because of COVID. They had the qualifying round uh, in addition to the first round. So eight extra teams made that tournament. The Sabres weren't able to do that, which was an extra embarrassment for the Sabres at the time and Jason Bottrell to not be good enough to even uh, make it into the top two-thirds of the league, uh, let alone the top half. So I think Sabres fans would not reject that or put an asterisk on that if it had broken their playoff drought uh, a few years, uh, or excuse me, two years early. Well, I guess it would be uh, at least three years earlier than it will have happened once they finally do uh, end the famine. Um, but do we think that that people would actually reject the concept of a play-in game as not being real playoffs? Or like the play-in games with uh, the first four of the NCAA tournament. You made the tournament, yes, you were teams 65 through 68, but you make the tournament, I bet you those schools are hanging a banner. Well, yeah, I think you have to redefine what the standard is for success. Because I think in a way, I thought this about the Bills a few years ago, and I would have thought this the same way about the Sabres. If the Sabres sneak into the eighth seed in the playoffs, by one point and they end up getting swept out by Boston in the first round. Yes, you've ended the playoff drought, but I don't think that's a goal in and of itself just to make the top eight tournament. The goal is to be in the postseason with a chance to contend for a championship and advance in the playoffs and, and have a a number of home playoff games, which you would get from being the eighth seed. Um, But because it's been so long since the Sabres have made the playoffs and when you're in the midst of a postseason drought, like the Sabres have and the Bills have been in, that becomes the end in and of itself, end the playoff drought, be a playoff team. So this black cloud that was hanging over the franchise or a curse, if you will, is broken. Um, So I think it just depends on how you view the playoff drought and what a successful season is. Because if the Sabres missed the playoffs here with 42 wins, but let's say circumstances were different and they had made the playoffs with 40 wins, well, what's a better team and what's a better season? And I think that it just really depends on your own context of what you think matters in a season. And I think a lot of Sabres fans got a little too wrapped up in whether this was a playoff season or not, and not so much whether this team was better approved or on the right trajectory to be a cup contending team at some point. We talked about that last week, the vibe of last season and how how it felt so fresh and exciting and new uh, and uh, captivating that even though the Sabres didn't make the playoffs, fans were excited about the future and they got better, even though they weren't necessarily expected to be a playoff team this year, but they got better 
but there was this clunker mentality among the fans that we were so close and we blew it. Uh, we had a bad stretch at the worst spot. Granado's got to go. It's time to move on. You know, let's blow up this or uh, maybe not blow up. That's not the right. That's more Bill's mentality or, after. Uh, you know, or but, that they but, didn't do enough to push to make right. The Kevin Adams has to go. He he needs to do something. Uh, he really um, he really squandered an opportunity by not bringing in a goaltender. And now here, three weeks later, everybody's excited again. Probably similar to a year ago because. All those pieces are still in place. They improved, and now the goaltender has been looked at. There's been a uh, actual um, observation element to Devin Levi, seeing him in the uniform, doing it against NHL players. Not perfect, of course, uh, but a lot of positives to look at his game, and even when he is letting in a goal, a lot of it is excusable because it was – as we were talking before, a, a ricochet, a bad bounce, uh, a stop he couldn't have made. Uh, you know, yes, there have been a couple soft ones, but not many for a guy who's fresh out of college playing against the NHL's best. Uh, he's looked really good and has reinstilled that air of confidence and optimism regarding uh, the future for the Sabres. So it, things can change in just a couple of weeks. Um Jonah, let's talk about that uh, in depth a little bit. We mentioned already that uh, the Sabres still do have one game left, but it feels like the season's over. Um, Tage Thompson will finish with 47 goals. The quest for 50 will not continue. Uh, he's too hurt to play, and uh, it's pretty pointless. Uh, he would need a hat trick anyway, although Danny Gare, I think, got 50 once. Uh, he needed a hat trick in his final game and pulled it off. Um, and not Tage to say that scored. I disagree. Huh? They have to score five goals when they played at Columbus earlier this season. So if he was, that's true. That's right. I think that hat trick would be in play. So it's plausible. Um, but just your thoughts. You covered the team quite a bit. You were there at, at most of the games. Uh, you were writing about it. You're in the locker room, off days, practices. What's just your general, your, your quick overview on the Sabres season in 12 words or less? I'm kidding. Not 12 words or less. I'm just saying, uh, just give me your take. I mean, I think it's a lot of ways an extension from last season. I and mean, maybe it's not as obviously emotional that, you know, this team ended with such good vibes and the future is going to be bright. But that was the way the season began and the way it ended. And there were lulls in between the seasons. But the Sabres were a competitive and exciting, high-scoring team throughout the season with a lot of players having career years and a lot of young players, Dylan Cousins breaking out and developing into either star players or rising star players. There's even more young players developing in Rochester and prospects that aren't even here yet that Matt Savoy playing well in junior hockey, that there's a lot to be hopeful for in the future. And even if the Sabres had a worse season and a worse record, there'd still be things to be hopeful for. But in the now, with the youngest roster in the league and some defensive deficiencies and injuries and bad luck, they were still a team that, if they win tonight, will finish with more wins and losses for the first time in 12 years. The crowds, actually, that was probably the thing that sticks out to me throughout the season more often than not. There were some light crowds, but attendance was up about 6,000 per game, and it was a lot closer to being a full building more often than not. And there was a lot of energy in the building for a lot of games, especially special occasion games, and that the 
the anti-Sabres sentiment from the Sabres' own fans that was very persistent last year and much, and it began in the years before that, is gone from that. Nobody seems to be too worried about whether Jack Eichel is going to have a good playoff run with the Vegas Golden Knights. People are more focused on the Sabres, what's going on now and what's going on in the future, and things that happened in the past are in the past and not crosses for this current team to bear any longer. Yeah, really interesting that it is the best team since 2011 uh, and also the youngest team in the National Hockey League. And that is an algorithm that is hard to match. Um, again, some of the uh, equation uh, factors in really bad teams, the worst teams in the NHL over some of those 12 years, but still uh, to have, like you say, more wins than losses uh, with the youngest team in the NHL, and all of a sudden your your goaltender parachuting in at the end of the season. It'll be fascinating to see what they do. Uh, expectation from you, Jonah, you think that Devin Levi's uh, the opening day starting goaltender next year? I do think it's trending in that direction. I mean, things could change if he comes into preseason and struggles or if there's maybe an injury or health situation that they decide to – start him in Rochester or start him as the backup or maybe kind of recalibrate this development curve that he's on now. But the way he's played and the way they trusted him to start most every game here down the stretch indicates that the Sabres believe he's their goalie of the future and also their goalie of the present. And he gives them the best chance to win right. now. Yeah, and They needed to win. Well. They needed to win, barring right. them signing somebody that would probably clog his development, which you don't want. Uh, he, they proved – that he was their best goaltender or they view him as good enough right now. So of course, by next season, I think there would have to be quite a bit of um, renovation being done to the goaltending depth chart for him not to be right. I mean, we don't well, know what's going to happen with how they're going to set up the, you know, who the backup would be. Do you, you know, the veteran uh, to help guide him along type thing, the, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think it depends more the ups and downs of young goaltenders and their development. And if for whatever reason, Devin Levi comes into training camp or preseason and is in a bit of a swoon in the way he's playing and maybe needs to play some minor league hockey to get his rhythm and confidence back. I don't, I don't expect that to happen, but I wouldn't, I think if that did happen, it, it shouldn't be totally shocking that maybe uh, next season is a new season and a different trajectory forms for Devin Levi and him developing as a goaltender because as promising as he's looked, I don't know if you can just assume that a 22-year-old goaltender in his first full NHL season is going to be this good for 50 or 60 games. Uh, so I think the Sabres have to plan a little bit as if they have to have a plan A and a plan B and the plan A being Devin Levi being the number one goaltender and we no longer have to worry about that position and the plan B being what if Devin Levi struggles? What if we can't play him every night? What if we do have to give him some games in Rochester to further his development? And is Ukapeka Lukanen or Eric Comrie the answer to be the second goaltender? And maybe not. So I think the Sabres have to have a few different scenarios in mind and fill out their goaltending depth chart to be able to adjust to the different possibilities. Devin Levi could get injured. You're going to need a plan and goal if Devin Levi is not able to play or has to play in the minors or is just not up to the task of starting every single night because as he get into an 82-game season, that might burden him in ways that he's never experienced in his career before. 
What do you think, uh, what is on the Sabres wish list uh, heading into free agency? Well, the biggest thing they need is a top four defenseman and specifically maybe a right shot top four defenseman to play on the second pair with Owen Power. Um, but also if he's good enough, give them some interchangeability with their top four defensemen. And then you got Henry Yoki Haru, who I think the Sabres are still believing. Yoki Harmi? Yeah. Yoki Haru. I think the Sabres still believe in him as a player to develop and one of their young four defensemen, but a lot of fans aren't thrilled with his performance. It doesn't seem like he's the right defenseman to be playing alongside Owen Power and to help Owen Power develop into the star player that he's probably going to be, that they need another Matias Samuelson type or a veteran that could come in with a little bit of uh, just experience and grit and having one and maybe, maybe even like, you know, a defenseman that's won a cup or been to the cup finals and can give a little bit of that. Uh, that is something that is present. in short supply in that locker room. You're right. Is anybody who's had a deep run in the playoffs um, and they could use some of that to help uh, probably guide them through these, you know, swoons, lulls, funks. You know, we've used the word we've, we've tried. I think we've gone to the thesaurus uh, to, to talk about uh, or to use uh, uh, synonyms for whatever those periods were that they were much better than uh, that team uh, that went through those periods of just looking like they just didn't have any answers for three or four games in a row, but yeah, you're right. I think that that is huge. And with Yoki, how are you, if they find a better second pair of top four defensemen, a better penalty killer to fill that role, he can slide down into a third pair and maybe be the offensive defenseman on that pair and not have as much responsibility playing alongside Owen power in a smaller role. He might flourish better in the, it might be a two for one in a way that if they can upgrade at that second pair defensive spot, they might also upgrade on the third pair and they need more defensive depth. So even just adding one person at the top of the depth chart is going to slide everybody down a little bit. And then adding a few more young defensemen in the bottom of the depth chart. Uh, they just need to be better on defense. They need defensive forwards. They need the current forwards to play better defense. And through all of that, helping the young goaltender and just overall developing into a team that, doesn't allow as many goals and hopefully does it while still scoring as many goals, but maybe, maybe they don't need to score quite as many goals if they can play a little bit better defense next season. Right on. Well, there's not a lot left to talk about really. It's been pretty quiet with the Buffalo bills. Uh, they're pretty much done in free agency with the exception of the occasional one year contract. Um, and they signed offensive lineman, Kevin Jarvis today to a one year deal. Uh, I think that um, the DeAndre Hopkins uh, trade rumor mill has come to a halt, uh, blessedly. Uh, right, and some of these fantasies, whether it's Christian McCaffrey, Odell Beckham Jr., DeAndre Hopkins has been the hot name. They're not really feasible for several reasons, but they become feasible in the the minds of fans and, and certain people that cover the team and people that cover the team – media adjacent types and then they take on a life of their own and they almost become fated to happen and i get it because things like the von miller signing and the stefan Diggs trade have happened but that was at different points in in the development of the bills roster when they had more salary cap flexibility and, and going back to stefan Diggs when they had the need to get a star wide receiver and they really were still building up the talent base on this team the bills are past that 
And now the best thing they can do is try to retain their own talent, and they didn't do that with Tremaine Edmonds, and get bargain free agents and bargain veterans and draft picks that come in and produce right away. I don't really think until they shake up the roster again, maybe in the future, that we're going to see any big-name signings in the next couple of off-seasons from the Bills. It should be noted also that compensatory picks are tradable and have been for a couple of years now. A lot of people uh, you know, uh, might not recall that. So it's not only a draft asset in terms of possibly getting a third-round pick uh, that you can put on your roster next year at a rookie contract and hopefully have him contribute to you, uh, contribute to your team for three, five, seven, whatever it is, years. Um, it's a tradable asset that you can use to move up in the first round or to trade for a player during the season. There's all kinds of uh, reasons why that third round pick is, is quite valuable to Brandon Bean. Um, Joan, I don't have anything else to talk about. Not really myself either. I did want to make a quick mention I talked about it before on the podcast. Gretchen Dole in the Williamsville South senior basketball player was named Miss New York basketball earlier this week. She's the first girls basketball player from Western New York and only the third, fourth overall player from Western New York to win that award. Miss Dore, Miss New York basketball. Do you know the other three off the top of your head? I know Johnny Flynn was the last one. And I I just wrote this the other day. And I know that um, Paul Harris brother, Paul Harris did not get it, but you know who won it that year? Greg Paulus, uh, oh. now university coach. And um, Robinson in 1986, his name is escaping me. It's Cliff Robinson's brother, Keith Robinson. And I'm going to find it because there was another one, I believe, in the early 2000s. Leonard Stokes in 1998, who was a tremendous player. maybe Legends. Well, just if, you, if you're talking about all Western New York basketball players and some of the best players of certain eras, he, he gets – remembered as maybe you know better than his peers that won player of the year awards in the 90s and the early 2000s johnny flynn who won it the year bob lanier didn't get it well it only goes back i think to 1986 so Uh, bob lanier might although bob lanier was not as dominant in high school as maybe you would expect that's how he ended up at saint bonaventure right right he was a late bloomer into his body um speaking of people who would not an all-Western New York player of the year. He wasn't all-Western New York player, not a player of the year, not a Mr. New York basketball. But Jordan Wara finished off his uh, third NBA season after getting traded to the Indiana Pacers, played about half the game, about 24 minutes a game, scored about 13 points a game, and had career-high shooting percentages in the games he played with the Pacers. So he's not playing in the NBA playoffs after being on the Milwaukee Bucks championship team and playoff team last year, but had more individual success joining the Pacers and might be blossoming into a player who just gets more opportunities and has a bit more productive NBA career, if not more wins. How about Jonathan Williams? And Jonathan Williams, first NBA, first UB player to play in an NBA game since Sam Pelham. And well, very well. He Pretty good numbers. Yeah, he did. He did. Shot the ball well, scored 17 points against Golden State. Um, we'll see how that projects out because the Blazers, like a lot of NBA teams that were out of the playoffs, were – uh, tanking a bit and had several injured players. So I don't know where in the rotation Jonathan Williams is going to be next year with the Blazers, but he did sign a contract that carries into next season. So he'll go to training camp with them and probably have a, a very good opportunity to be on that team. And we'll see how he develops into a player and how many minutes he could get, but he could be in a situation that 
uh, Jordan Wara found himself in often with Milwaukee, where you're in the NBA and you're on the roster, but you're you're not in a uniform every night and you're not always playing. So, right. Well, as they say, he's getting uh, he's getting tape. There he's is film. The fourth, he's on the Gene- fourth active NBA player from Rochester, which is I think huh. interesting. You don't Only think of Rochester as a big uh, training ground for NBA superstars? Well, I don't want to say super for NBA players. Well, it's a smaller city than Buffalo, but over the last 10 or 15 years, I don't think it goes back much further than that. But in most of the years that I've covered the local scene, Rochester has produced more division one basketball players and ultimately now more professional basketball players. Uh, So it is kind of interesting how that goes. Um, And we're seeing that now with four Rochester players in the NBA and there'll be a fifth one, Jalen Pickett, a Rochester player who played at Siena then finished up at Penn state was a Bob Cousy award nominee, one of the top five point guards in the country. Uh, I'm not so sure where he'll get drafted, how high he'll get drafted, but he'll be on an NBA roster next year. I would imagine. All right. Well, Jonah, thanks for this. Um, enjoy the weather. Maybe I'll see you, uh, at a bar steer, a bar stool near you. Uh, one of these days, maybe it's patio time. Maybe it is. I think we should clarify. We are not a bar stool podcast. Even yes, when we talk that about is, bar stools, we should clarify that. Lest anyone think, uh, Jonah, uh, enjoy the weekend. All right. You too, and, uh, thanks to everyone out there for enjoying, well, I guess I'm being presumptuous by saying that you enjoyed it. So let me say again, uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening to Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business in our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsource solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716 716- 630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. We'll